What's up, Freedom Jumpers? Back for another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. And I've been on this association kick for a little bit, and we're not slowing down because my guest for this episode 66 is Marit Peters, the executive director of the Independent Insurance Agents of Texas, otherwise known as the Big Eye of Texas. Marit is a high-powered boss babe, and she gets all the way into uh, a, a very interesting conversation on a variety of subjects. How do we bring up the independent agency channel? How do we educate and advocate and make leaner, meaner agents out of uh, the membership in the Big Eye of Texas. There is a lot going on in the state of Texas. It is a great example of what is happening in the country at large. And that is uh, all I'm going to do as, uh, as a spoiler for this episode. So thanks for joining us on another episode of AFP. I don't have any ask for you today. I just want to say thanks for being along for the ride. This is a lot of fun. I had no idea when I got started you know, 70-something episodes ago, if you count the one-offs, that this was going to be as much fun and as engaging as it is. Uh, Hopefully, uh, you are finding this to be uh, as enjoyable as I am. And that is it for the lead-up. Let's go ahead and hit that bumper and get after episode 66 of the Agency Freedom Podcast with Marit Peters. Let's go. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're gonna have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Back for another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast, and this is going to be an excellent conversation. I am here with none other than Marit Peters, who is the Executive Director of the Big Eye of Texas, otherwise known as the IIAT, the in. Sure, Independent Insurance Agents of Texas, one of the biggest and baddest chapters in all of the big eye. I'm also tipping my hat to you, North Carolina and New York. Y'all have great chapters as well. Marit, thanks so much for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, this anytime I get to talk to somebody who's as much a nerd for the practice of this industry of you know serving your constituents, which for me is my insureds and my channel partners and for you is the practitioners in the industry you know companies like Riskwell and you know thousands of other people represented by about what would you say like 1200 agencies uh, are members of IIAT that's about right yep and probably you know 
20 or 30,000 agents themselves across the board. So nice, nice composition we've got. That is fantastic. You know, that has got to feel amazing for you to know when you get up in the morning, the work that you and your colleagues do at the association have, you know, direct impact on thousands and thousands of your peers in the industry and indirect impact on, gosh, you know, probably 20 million people across the state of Texas. You know, I, I have to think, you know, there's roughly 30 million people in, in the state of Texas, maybe not 20 million, let's call it half, you know, 15 million people represented by somebody in the independent agency channel. That's a yeah. lot of impact that you and your colleagues have. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I'm always, when people ask me, why do you work in insurance with independent agents? I always go back to, you know, I've had an opportunity to work in lots of different industries, but I always think of independent agents as being so gracious in their communities, dealing with times of need, serving on boards, serving in their school districts, serving on, you know, um, all sorts of uh, councils and so forth for cities. And so I think the industry really touches so many people. And if we can help them be better, they can be truly heroes in their own space, whether they're clients or communities and making things, you know, a better place to be. And so we think we take it very seriously. No, oh, I love it. This conversation, and I, I had to be thoughtful about how I use our time together because you and I could go in, you know, 10 different directions and have an engaging conversation that our Freedom Jumpers audience would would probably find engaging uh, and, and useful. So I, we're going to talk about three things. First, I want to hear your story, you know, your journey uh, in your career path and in the industry and in association world, because I think there's a lot that we can learn from you and, and you know, your experiences and getting to the point where you're at. Uh, and then I want to talk about the association world, IIAT, the big I, uh, you know, advocacy, uh, the things that you all do day in and day out. I'd love to to get into some of that and, and the why and the how of your organization. And then open up the scope at the end of the conversation, even a little bit more, and just talk shop about the state of the industry and get your opinion on uh, how we overcome some of these challenges, you know, regulatory and distribution uh, some of the things that, uh, you know, whatever, other than those things, maybe something you want to bring up that I haven't even thought of from the conversations you have with your constituents and really just give your perspective on how we can all work together to create an even better experience uh, for the insured, for the policyholder. So uh, I'll ask you the first one, just hand you the mic. What is uh, the Mart Peters professional saga? Like, catch us up. How'd you get to where you are right now? I'm not sure, but I'm sitting here, so I, I guess that's a start. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've I've come a very strange route in my life, uh, and being in the association business is kind of interesting in and of itself because I didn't really know what an association was, for one thing. Most people don't, and when you describe it to them, they're even more confused, so that's fun. And one day I was talking to my dad and saying, well, I work for this association, and he paused and said, well, you know, Marit, I worked for an association for your whole life, right? <laughs> I had no hmm. idea. Um, we actually lived in Africa, and he was the executive director for a um, company or association that actually served the Fulani nomadic herding tribe. And so he would bring together um, 
people that worked in agriculture, medical, government, religious, and so forth every couple of years to share best practices on how they could serve that community and help it survive um, better. And so I grew up in that world. And so I would help my dad. We all did, you know, putting together conferences and collating papers and being hosts and sharing ideas. And and it, so it's, I guess, been a little bit in my blood of you know, helping others. And I remember once my dad's a pastor by trade. And he said to me once, Marit, the most important words you can ever say are, how can I help? And so that's kind of what I feel like my career has been. So people will see that I've kind of jumped from one industry to another. um, But it's always been in the spirit of, can I make an impact? Can I help? How can I make an impact? And will it make a difference after all? So, you know, my background is not real exciting from a school standpoint. I have a geography degree, sociology, anthropology degree. So Hmm. that's exciting in and of itself. And then... um, Really, at the so end I'm, of the I'm day, I'm guessing you're going to say you're going to say that insurance rocks, right? Insurance absolutely rocks. I've never read my own insurance policy. Thank goodness, I think I have a good independent agent who makes sure I have the right stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but but really, it's about protection and taking care of people. So I've you know got into the industry association world a long time ago. Ended up working for a large agency, helping with their sales management and career pathing. And then I left the industry for a lo- about ten years, which was. I kind of called it my growing up years. I got to go yeah. work for an aviation manufacturer, um, and they taught me all about lean methodology. I got to work for a guy from Ford. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the work that I do is all about lean methodology, keeping it simple, serving the customer, removing waste. And so I've been lucky enough then to take that and translate that back into the agency system as how can we take the best of that, the most simple pieces of that, and then use my background in organizational design and development to build teams and build mm-hmm. strong cultures that serve others. So that's kind of my eclectic background, I guess. So do you have one of your Six Sigma certifications? I don't, but I think I've done enough that I could at least be dangerous. Let's put it that way. <laughs> awesome. You know, several years ago, I, I would have had no idea what a Six Sigma black belt is, but it's like now now that I'm pretty familiar with you know, organizational health and, and dynamics and, and whatnot. The moment you say lean methodology, it was like, oh, I know what that means. That's pretty <laughs> cool stuff right there. Yeah, I remember the first agency that I did consulting with, the guy looked at my resume and he goes, so what's this lean methodology thing? (laughs) And how Mm. does it relate to us in the industry? And that's actually where it kicked off all the work that I do with consulting with agencies. So some of you may or may not know, but I spend probably 50 to 60% of my time actually inside agencies working them on their, with their challenges, doing strategic planning, prioritizing what needs to be worked on first, second, third. Um, and, and to me, it always comes down to the people and the culture. And if you get that right, the rest of it really comes together so much, so much easier. Um, and you always start at the fundamentals. You get that right, and we can help you with all sorts of other things later on. I mean, it, it really comes down to crawl, walk, run, right? You know, the, uh, you got to get the basics right before you can do anything fancy or, or complex. So, you know, operations, accounting, HR, licensing, regulatory, compliance, you know, sales, marketing. Okay, we really only have six components to the the agency. If you're not doing the basics of those six, well, stop trying to be cute, right? Like that's that's my philosophy. Uh, 
you know, anything you want to say there and on those areas, like how we start, you know, crawl, walk, run, what does the crawl look like in, in your perspective? Yeah. So interesting, even for my, I've been here seven and a half years at IIT. And when they brought me in, it was really to sort of recalibrate, figure out what was working, what wasn't working. So I, I kind of consider IIT my own Petri dish <laughs> that I got mm-hmm. to be in charge too. Right. So to me, I think the fundamentals are leadership, and having the right, the courage to deal with difficult decisions and making sure that you have the right people and hire people that are smarter than you and then trust them to do the work, right? In fact, yeah. we didn't even put together a strategic plan till I, and I live and breathe strategy, <laughs> but yeah. we didn't even wait to put in a strategic plan for us formally until about four years into it because I just didn't have the right people yet. And so it would have felt like a lot of extra waste. And so when I'm working with teams and I do a lot of programming around this, it's let's get your people right. Let's make sure we remove Um, those that create drag in your organization. Um, And people will say to me, well, how come you can, I thought you were a compassionate person, Marit. Why are you, you know, terminating people? (laughs) I've terminated a few. We call it liberating, James. I liberate people on a regular basis. But the reality is, is that my compassion is for my high performers. And there's nothing worse than having a team that you have people who are dragging the team down and they don't trust each other. And so fundamentally, if you said, "What what do you do first for anything? It's look around your team. Who's creating drag? Who are people, you know, working around because they don't want to actually they're avoiding them because they're too much work to deal with and get the right team in place and then the rest happens so smoothly and then i would also say get your metrics right you know measure what matters and don't just measure everything and for me measuring things is about what are the indicators that are Um, they're not lagging indicators, but they're leading indicators. What are the indicators that I can measure that give me a sense that something will happen and I can make decisions around it instead of looking back historically and I can't do anything about it? That's interesting, but it actually doesn't move the needle at the end of the day. You know, it's kind of like OSHA, you know, I mean, we can report, you know, spills and incidents and events and stuff. But what I really want to hear about are the near misses, right? Like I want to know when we almost killed ourselves, (laughs) not when we actually did. And that's what I think if agencies could get really good about knowing what those indicators are and can measure against them, they can actually move faster. And it's, it's really interesting that you chose the same language that we've used a bunch of times on this podcast, because, you know, I've said it a few times. So for our regular listeners, here I go again. So, uh, you know, buckle up. When all you're tracking is, you know, premium, revenue, profit, when you're looking at your P&L that your bookkeeper sends you at the 10th of the next month, at the absolute best, you're 30 days behind. You can't make strategic decisions and, and look at adjustments when everything is a lagging indicator. You know, if instead you're looking at pipeline. You know, what are our incoming leads? Where are they coming from? How long is, you know, that lead staying in that first deal stage? Are we getting stuck in discovery? You know, what, what is the average value of the deals in the various stages of the pipeline? You know, how long does it take us to turn a sales, uh, a service request? You know, all of these, you know, leading indicators. How many appointments do our producers have? How many are kept? How many outbound calls are they making? You know, how many channel partner meetings are they making? All of those activities, all those data points are more useful tactically than any sort of production report. Yeah. So it's and, I, and I couldn't know, agree more with what you're saying. 
you know, I, I think that looking historically back is helpful from a trend standpoint to figure out what's broken down. So a lot yeah. of the training we do is around, you know, that root cause analysis. So thinking about that sales process, right? It's looking at where it broke down in the process and, and being really critical. And, and I think that's one of the things we, we really, one of my favorite books is The Culture Code. I'll put a shout out on that if people like books. Um, yeah. But it, it makes you do these after action reviews and figuring out what didn't work, right? And so I love sitting down with a sales team and saying, fine, let's take all the clients you didn't sell, didn't write this year that you quoted or created proposals for and let's figure out why and when it broke down in the process and see if we can find the trends so that we don't repeat ourselves and, and I'll use an example of an agency that I was working with we had this one guy that had a million at bats but not closing anything maybe a 20% close ratio well we basically uncovered that he just kept he was great at convincing people that he should get in the door but never got the right people and didn't know the decision making process and didn't have qualified decision makers in the room. He was getting around to everybody else. So very, very um, persuasive <laughs> in that regard. But at the and so you're wasting all this time with staff time and his time. I'm like, why don't we shore that up? Make sure that before you even move forward, these critical qualifying things are done. And then your chances of closing are probably 80%. Let's work on that. So I do believe in the study of things and understanding what worked and didn't work. But for to your point, tactical decision-making day-to-day, getting those right metrics that you can see quickly and know when you've got a turn um, can really make a big difference. So right people, right seats is is a, a thing that my team hears me talk about a lot. Uh, that was the first component of things that you talked about. And then, know, you know, know thy numbers as the saying goes. And, and I would just, just say leadership, I think, is key, right? So when people complain to me about this person's doing this or that, and to me, it always points back to management. So yeah. it, it's, you know, being really clear about what's expected, holding people accountable. And once you have the right team, you don't have to do that, right? There's not a lot. You should spend zero time. One of the things I'll ask in a management training is how much time are you spending on drama, versus productivity. And when I get people who are sort of like, well, I spent a lot of drama time with people in my staff dealing with churn and all that, I know something's broken. And, and it's because usually managers are letting people get away with it. And so yep. the, the leadership piece is so key that it's there supporting the organization and the people the way that they need to. Well, you know, a perfect example here at risk. Well, um, we have a producer who I discovered when they went on vacation uh, that they were not following uh, the SOP for our CRM. Uh, one of the things that I had asked them to do a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago now, uh, when I discovered that they weren't using the CRM at all, that they were using their own little spreadsheet that they had built, they weren't putting stuff in correctly. It was like, hey, we really need you to be using the CRM. You got to put notes in there. When you talk to somebody, literally just a couple of sentences. Spoke to the insured about such and such. Next steps are such and such. Done. Move on. And that, that wasn't happening. And I didn't find out about it until they went on vacation. And I was trying to pick up their pipeline and make sure that things weren't dropped for the insured or whatever. And I'm going into our CRM. And what do you know? I'm not finding anything. No notes. Things weren't advanced on the pipeline where they're supposed to be. It was a hot mess. And when they, when they got back from vacation, I had to have the hard conversation of, hey, first things first, 
I need to apologize to you because I failed to give you the coaching and accountability that you needed uh, to make sure that this wasn't discovered weeks later. And secondly, are we clear on expectations here? Because there's not anything in such and such in the CRM. Do you understand what I asked you to do? Or do we need to have another conversation about what my expectations are for your daily activity? And since then, they've been fantastic. But I had to own in that conversation, hey, as your employer, as the one who's responsible for helping you be the very best version of yourself, I failed you because I did not check in and make sure that what I asked you to do is what you were actually doing. I didn't provide any accountability or check in from a coaching perspective. So yeah, you own most of this. This is your fault for not doing what I asked you to do. But I also own a component of it because I failed to provide any sort of structure and accountability. And yeah. they were like, well, thanks for that. That I yeah. appreciate you know, the way that you're handling this and not just being like, hey, jackass. Because <laughs> that, that's not productive. No. No, I, you know, it's always interesting to me when you're sitting down with people to have conversations. I always, one, like to think, what's the ultimate outcome I really want from this? That yeah. that creates a very different path of the conversation. But one of the questions I always ask myself is, what did I do to contribute to the situation, right? Whether I avoided something. I always love, I talk about the fact that when you feel resentment about a situation with an employee or a split spouse or, you know, whatever, it's almost always ingrained in guilt that you didn't do something and now you're pissed, right? You're like, no. now I'm really irritated, but I realize that part of the situation is I am guilty of something. Therefore, now I feel resentful about what's occurring in the scenario. And I think if people can get that, it actually lets go of a lot of things. And I, you know, that vulnerability of saying, I, I've contributed to this as well. Let's work through it and move forward. Puts yeah. the defense down and gets people moving into the place you want them to be anyway. I always like starting with ownership as the leader. It's like before I say anything of an accountability, of a coaching perspective, just like Jocko Willink uh, from the book Extreme Ownership, which is one of my very favorites, as the leader, you have to own first and hold accountable second. Yep. Uh, and those four questions that we always carry into our conversation, really every conversation with an insured, a channel partner, whatever, uh, it's literally on the computer monitors of most of my team is, hey, remember these four questions. What do I already know? What do I need to know? What is currently unknown that I really need to know? What is the desired outcome of this engagement, this conversation? And what is the next steps that need to happen? And those four conversations, you know, those four questions, if you're bringing that into every conversation, I think, you know, especially we as leaders, you and I both and every single one of our listeners, those four questions are front of your mind. You're going to approach conversations a little bit differently. Yep. And you're probably yep. not going to go off half cocked and blow steam at somebody. <laughs> True. And I love Jocko Willink. I, we just read the dichotomy of leadership as a team. Yes. And uh, I, I was laughing because one of my employees decided to do the audible on it. And I guess there's a lot of, you know, bombing and all of that stuff. And I called her one day. I said, what do you think of the book? And she's like, it's too hard to listen to. I'm like, just read it. <laughs> I guess the yeah. dramatics were a little too much for her. But really great stuff. In fact, when I read it a couple of years ago, the first time it really kicked me in the teeth. And I mean, that's the one thing I love about leadership books and, and encouraging people to stay on that is even if it's not a great book, which this one is, um, 
if you're paying attention, you will get kicked in the teeth somewhere and be yep. reminded of, oh, gee, either I'm too close to my team or and not letting them make decisions. Or in my case, maybe I'm too far removed and I need to get back in and help be part of a resource and support. And so, uh, you know, that to me is continuing to build the team up and and. I read in a, in the book um, how successful people lead John Maxwell. He actually refers to employees, you know, their assets. Of course, we talk about that, right? And on a balance sheet, our assets are usually our technology and so forth, and they depreciate over time. And so he actually refers to with employees, let's appreciate them over time, which is actually helping them develop, get better and stronger, and continue to upgrade them so that there there's a stronger team at the end of the day, not the same team you had or it is depreciating because of um, negligence, so to speak, because you're not purposeful in driving growth. You know, I, I love that you brought up the dichotomy of uh, leadership and it's, it is so inspiring for me when we talk about leadership. It's let's learn from people that are operating at a higher level or with higher stakes than where we are. It, you want to talk about the difficulties of leading an insurance agency, leading a team of, you know, industry professionals. Think about how it must be when the people you're leading are Navy SEALs. Yeah. <laughs> the people that you're leading are themselves extremely high caliber professionals that have completed all the Navy SEAL qualifications and are themselves leaders. Like Jocko Willink, Leif Babin, like all of those folks, I will read anything they put out because they're leaders of leaders. That is just Absolutely incredible stuff there. Yeah, I love it. They're amazing. His podcast too is fantastic, by yes, the way. I don't know if you've yes. heard any of his podcasts. I've heard a couple. I, I, I need to get better about listening to podcasts. My commute luckily is too short that I don't tend to jump in, but sometimes I think if I had a longer commute, I'd probably be smarter. <laughs> I One of the best decisions I ever made was capturing my windshield time and yeah. doing something productive. You know, people you know, talk about current events or sports talk radio or whatever. I'm just like, I have no idea. I don't listen to the radio ever. It, it's either audible or it's a podcast. Uh, one of the two. Um, I'm a lot happier now that I think about it, you know, <laughs> not being aware of what's going on in the mainstream it's, media. It's true. Yeah. I, I tell my husband, can you just turn it off? You're, you're swearing at things before 8 a.m. in the morning. Just turn it off. You'll be a happier yeah. guy. <laughs> Absolutely. He's not swearing at me, just so you know. I'm sure he <laughs> <No>. does. But <laughs> Well, there's plenty on the TV that's worth swearing at. Let's yes, be honest. True, true. No, it, I'm sitting here, you know, without making any political statement. You know, I see this stuff coming out of the government. I was like, you're trying to change the definition of recession. Like, you realize that, right? Like, oh, we're not in a recession. We changed the definition. It's no longer a recession. It was like, well, it's been the definition for decades. We're currently in that. GDP has shrunk two quarters in a row. That, my friends, is a recession. Yes. No, it's like, no, it's not. We changed the definition. I'm like, facepalm. Like, you can't change the rules just because you don't like how things are going. Well, evidently uh, you and, can, right? Yeah. It, I would be frustrated with that kind of behavior regardless of who's sitting in the White House. Hey, Freedom Jumper. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. 
with a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed. Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. So anyways, I, I always promise I'm not going to get off into political things. Um, so I'm just going to change the subject there. Um, let's pivot back to IIAT. Uh, I would love to hear about you know, what you and your team are really focused on this year in 2022. Maybe give us some big picture stuff uh, of the why and the how of uh, the big eye here in Texas. Yeah, so... Um you know, at the end of the day, what we're really trying to do is make sure that in the independent agency channel is healthy. That That's really our vision, is that it's a sustainable channel um, and that the independent agents actually bring value to their stakeholders, whether it's cons- the consumer, the insured, our clients, whether it's carriers, um, whether it's vendors and so forth, right? But make, making sure that the entire system is healthy, which which I think makes us um, fundamentally unique from other trade associations at times because we're not just looking. In fact, when we go in and, and work on regulatory things, we're always trying to make sure it's it's a healthy balance of what the laws are, not just agent focused 100%, right? Or just carrier or whatever it looks like. So we're trying to look at making sure that the system stays viable and relevant. And um, and so we've, we've done a lot of things. And part of it is making sure that we are providing an experience for our members that's easy to use, right? So one of the things, and this is going to be common for across the country, but I would say about 95% of our member agencies have 20 employees or less. They're small businesses, right? So they're, they're extremely busy. They're trying to stay, survive whatever we're going through at any given time. And it doesn't really matter what it is. Um, especially the smaller ones, I think 60% of my members have four employees or less. So how do we make sure, and that's going to be consistent across the whole country. So I, I'm just 60 percent of your members have four or less employees. It, the numbers, something like that. Yeah. It's absolutely wow. crazy how small agencies. Yes. It's amazing. And people don't realize that actually we represent small business. Um, and it's, and it's, the disparities between the large and the small get wider through all this acquisition, right? Because you see mm-hmm. the large agencies gobbling up what I call the good bread and butter, you know, 30 to 70 employee shops that are good, strong independents. And so how do we make sure that we continue to keep that healthy? And I think we'll always continue to see new, we have more new members this year as independent agents as ever, because people spin off. They don't want to be part of corporate America. They're entrepreneurial in nature. Um, And so making sure that we're always focused on keeping resources available, easy to use, at a level that's actionable. In fact, we're about to roll out a conference. We're calling it the Agency Management Forum in October, and it's the how-to conference. Every session starts with how to do this, how to do that. And it's interesting, we have an an employee that joined us about a year ago on our consulting team for business consulting. And 
her eyes have been great for us because she was an owner of a small agency, about 10 employees, and she would look at some of the content we were putting out and say, well, that's interesting. It, it's academic somewhat, but it's not actionable. I don't know what to do with that information. So how do we yeah. make sure that whatever we produce, somebody can look at and say, I I can do something with it. And one of, one of our core values, which is really important to us, is integrity. And when I think about integrity, a lot of people will think, you know, it's about, you know, being honest and, you know, that type. To me, integrity, like like fabric, it can withstand difficult things, right? So when we build stuff, we want to make sure that it is has a lot of integrity to it and can manage through the test of time, right? So that it's really, and continuous improvement is one of our core values and excellence, service excellence in everything we do. So one of the things that we've shifted over the years from is being, and we're very educational based, but now we're very hands-on, either custom or we and we generated this year about a half million dollars in business and management consulting. So we are in people's shops, actually working with them, and then trying to take that and then scale the learning so everyone can benefit from it. I think there's so much value in making sure that people have the resource that they can deal with it, and so there really is that concerted effort. In fact, I just came out of a week of internal meetings with our consulting team about getting really into the weeds of, okay, so hiring, that's a challenge agency. Every agency is dealing with right now is finding great talent, recruiting, and so forth. So what can we be doing better and providing those resources? And they're not easy answers, um, but we have to be there and we have to feel that and we have to be part of it and we have to bring what we know. And, you know, that's one thing we really challenge our board members with is when you come into the boardroom, you're here to support to make sure that the industry is better, not your just your agency. And so there can be battles at times about, well, I do that. Why would I want everybody else to know about it? <laughs> You're like, because if we're all better, we are a better system. We sustain it longer. We have a better yeah. reputation and so forth. And so I think collectively our why is around that and the initiatives around that are simply how do we make sure that People can get the solutions. I, I mean, I will say one of the best things, and I would not want to say the word COVID on a podcast, but we will, is it forced us to get so much better at being um, reachable and being available on a regular basis for online programming. I tape almost everything I do now. Everything is scalable. It's on demand where we used to say, well, you've got to wait till this conference or till I'm in your city. Now now we're at we're producing at a, a huge pace. And and I guess the last thing I would say is one of the major initiatives that we have going on right now is and has been work have been working on it for several years. As you know, this is a cultural shift and change is getting state associations to collaborate on initiatives together so we're not all reinventing the wheel, A, collaborating with the national big eye so that, again, we're trying to figure out where should things be solved and where does it fit best to get to the to the agents quicker and not try and run 50 different states in a national association. So there's been a lot of time and energy. You know, you've mentioned North Carolina, New York, whether it's Wisconsin, Louisiana, Colorado. We are 
very purposefully engage, and it takes time. It takes a lot of time and patience to work with other states, but we will be better for it and are bringing better solutions. And an example of that is providing more technology resources through Catalyst, which is an organization we built collectively together yep. and so forth. So to, to me, it's about the, the a lot of the groundwork right now is, okay, how do we, you know, c- combine and divide and conquer so we can produce more collectively and not all be trying to do the same things and, and think about geography and space in a different way um, when it comes to our members. Now, I think it's really interesting the way that you communicate that concept of collaboration, of abundance mindset, of blue ocean, whatever you want to call it, because what you just described is precisely what this podcast is, to be honest with you. The people listening to this podcast technically are my competition. I don't see it that way, and most of them don't see it that way either. Now, there's some people out there that are listening to me trying to reverse engineer what I'm doing so they can beat me and take me down. I know somebody out there. You know, there was a, there was a meme I saw a couple of years ago. They said, not all of your followers are your friends. And it was a pack of hyenas following this lion. It's like, <laughs> just because someone's following you doesn't mean they have your best interest at heart. So I'm not going to be naive enough to think that everybody is thinking the same way. Now, some people are engaging in a dialogue so they can try to figure out how to, how to do what you're doing and beat you. But you aren't like that. Most of my colleagues and friends and the listeners of this podcast aren't either. I love the, the similarity between Texas working with these other states, you know, the states you just mentioned, you know, Colorado and Louisiana and North Carolina, et cetera, et cetera, because that is exactly what the agents that are forward thinking are doing. They're realizing hey, you know what? There's so much business out there that I can have all the new business that I want. I can retain all the clients that I could possibly help. And there are literally millions of clients out there. You know, for agency A and B and C, there's probably tens of thousands of target prospects uh, that are within their market. So them helping each other out isn't necessarily a net negative. It could very easily be a net positive. I personally believe that it is, and it sounds like you're acting in that way as well. It, it's just beautiful to hear it at the association level where these clusters, these groups of agents are acting in the same way that you and I would both promote individual agents and agencies to be doing at the local granular level. It's pretty cool to think about. Yeah, you know, and I, I think the thing too is that, and I came from a smaller state. I worked in the New Mexico Association for a couple of years, really doing mostly consulting with with agents there and developing leadership programs and so forth. But what I find is, some I'm lucky enough to work for one of the largest states with great resources available to us, and what we can do as these organizations that are focused on innovation and have the time for creativity and space and have the resources to build it is to then build it and then make sure that those who don't can just plug and play, right? So it's an easy way to provide additional service to make all of us better in the long run. We want to make sure reputationally, you know, I know thinking about freedom fighters here, you know, the association should be there to help you deal with all the difficult decisions. I mean, I think about us, we want to be the easy button, right? Like that's yep. what we should be. Just like with you, well, if you're struggling, just call. 
we'll try and give you the quickest answer that we know, um, or we'll get you the right resource. It doesn't have to be us that's the solution, but we I find out so many times people say to me, gee, I just wish I'd known that. It would have saved me a year of angst or six months of a problem or whatever. And so yep. the sooner we can get to people and make sure that they know, just call, like it's send an email and let's figure out if I can get you to the right solution. We can help you focus on your clients and your business, not try and work. You know, it's kind of like, well, let's help you work on your business, not in your business every once in a while when you're in that space. Now I have to acknowledge that what we're talking about now is part of the benefit of being in a big state because you know, the message that I want to leave people with the call to action, if you will, is you've got to engage in organizing. The big I and the PIA are basically the only dogs in town uh, for the PNC insurance world. I'm sure there's other really small organizations out there. I'm just not aware of them. So whether it's big I or PIA, and I'm a member of both of them, I'm just active in big I and I'm, I just pay my dues to PIA. I don't really do anything with the PIA. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that if you're gonna ride in the boat, you need to, you know, pay your way. Uh, I I caught some flack for the episode that I recorded in Key West with Cass uh, and the Kenny brothers uh, from Vermont when I referred to people that are in the industry and are not a member of an association that aren't paying any dues. Uh, I referred to them as parasites. And I was like, you're enjoying the benefit of the work that people are doing in the big eye in the national level, at the state level, and the PIA as well, if you're not a part of the association, if you're not paying your dues, which is it's literally $35 a month for the PIA. It's a lot more than that for the big I uh, because I have a membership level that's corresponding with how I actually am. But at the end of the day, it is a tiny fraction of the actual benefit that we enjoy when you take something as simple as independent agents weren't included in the Trump tax cut bill. And then the big eye goes and says, hey, um, excuse me, you need to include us in that bill. And suddenly tens of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars at the national level flow into local independent agencies because of advocacy from the big eye and your counterparts at the PIA. And that's just one of dozens or hundreds of examples of the real actionable practical value that comes from being in an association and really just the association exists to begin with. We haven't even started talking about advocacy at the state house, you know, houses of government and federal stuff. I know that's a really big part of what uh, your association does. Do you want to touch on that at all? Or Yeah, I will. And I appreciate you bringing up the topic about, um, you know, participating and being part of an association because one of the sad um, byproducts of acquisitions of some of these members is, you know, when someone's an agency member, very often they feel a responsibility to contribute to the state and the national PACs, right? And and yep. the reality is, to your point, we're going to do the work anyway. We're stronger with resource for sure. Um, no. But it is, when I think about some of the laws that have been passed, or maybe more the ones that have been killed that no one knows anything about, if we didn't have our pulse on it, 
the 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 tax laws would look different what it would actually impact their bottom line at the end of the day whether it's business and personally and i don't know that we tell the story as well as we could about what that is but what happens is let's say an agency you know james's agency you get purchased very oftentimes what will happen is that person will stop contributing to the pack because they'll say, well, the person who acquired me, that's their job now. So we're really trying to make sure we send that message out that this isn't just an ownership responsibility. This is being part of the business's responsibility in helping protect the industry remain sustainable, right? Help with reputational risks, all of those those kinds of things. So it, it's part of our everyday. And for us in Texas next year, we begin the process of Texas Department of Insurance sunset process. And it's basically they go through, you know, let's say a 18 month process of evaluating everything in regards to the Department of Insurance and what rules and authority they'll have and all of those things going into the next decade. And we will be we'll have a huge impact on that. We'll be putting together task force. We'll have um, a voice and we'll collaborate with other people in the industry. We'll, we'll work with carriers and so forth. It won't just be agents, but we want to make sure that we are there, that we have a voice and that we have influence. And if we don't have that, it's a very scary place to be for the industry from a standpoint of regulatory pieces and seeing maybe some of the trends we see now out there um, it, more than ever. I think having a voice is, is critical both at the state and the national level. I really couldn't agree more. And I think you just teed me up for the pivot to the last segment of this interview. And it is that that trend. It is the, the current events, the challenges facing the industry, our channel in particular, and your constituents even more in particular. Uh, what What is, you know, just a couple, maybe two or three at most, of the, the challenges that you hear about when you're in these agents' offices, when you're having meetings and webinars and whatnot, when you're talking about what are some of the existential threats uh, that we face in our channel and in our agencies? Well, uh, at a very high level, I would say one of the biggest challenges we all feel is the speed at which time is nowadays. You know, you think about 10 years right now feels like a blink of an eye. I mean, we're already talking years in advance as opposed to 20 years ago, 10 years felt like forever, right? So the speed at which things are coming at us is so fast. So how do I keep up with it? How do I keep up with technology? We know that that there's billions of dollars in that space, hundreds of billions of dollars in insure tech space that's changing every day. How do I stay relevant and stay in front of my clients? Um, and so I think the day-to-day challenges of that is a key one. The M&A world is so aggressive. Um, and so how do you continue to um, bring value to, and we don't end up with these huge, large conglomerates that then don't have presence in their communities, taking care of their communities. I mean, we look like something different. It's even interesting. We've talked about, wow, looking at acquisitions, my board looks like in two years with the same people may look very different because of who they represent suddenly, because they went from representing a 10 person office to now a 2000 person office, which they now have zero authority in versus I can make decisions for my own business. So the whole landscape of who we work with every day. And I think networks and alliances are really, really, they're growing like crazy. I mean, the sad part is associations are not growing and networks are growing by scale. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's because with networks and alliances or 
clusters or whatever you call them, they're impacting the bottom line in a ROI. We're, you know, working on our um, markets, we're bundling, I can actually see the return on it. And so it's easy to quantify the value of that. And so to me, the powerful thing would be is if networks and associations can align and live in their each space and support each other from a standpoint of growth and intellectual capital sharing and being more profitable and being healthy organizations. But, you know, the M&A piece, the tech, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Those pieces are going to make the world get smaller, faster, every single, it no longer will matter. And, and I think with COVID and I think geography is even less relevant than it ever was before. It does not matter yeah. where I am anymore. I can provide almost the same level of service than if I were in your office. And so on that point, I have to double click because I feel so strongly about what you just said. Yeah, 100% agree. The last time I heard that pushback, where's your office located? And my, it's been several months ago, by the way, that was the, the most recent time I had any sort of pushback on geography. I said, hey, Steve, do you care about where my office is located or do you care how quickly you can get help when you need it? You care how quickly someone answers the phone when a real live person is there ready to assist you when your email is replied to same business day it, can you reach us on our facebook page you know can you send me a text message you know what what's going to happen how close are we steve we're as close as the phone in your pocket and he yep. stops and goes oh oh that's a great oh i like that that's a great answer and i started telling my team if you ever hear any pushback, and I'll say this the same for you guys out there listening to this, uh, guys and gals, when somebody gives you any kind of trouble on where your office is located, you can feel free to steal that exact line because every time I've used that line, the recipient goes, huh, okay, yeah, that's fine. Hey, how close are we? Where are we located? We're located on the phone in your pocket. That's where our office is located. Yeah, and I think the only caveat I would add to that is I do think in a lot of these rural communities that local presence really does make a difference. So mm -hmm. I, I think in the urban areas, I think it's, it becomes more and more less and less relevant. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to agencies in rural areas, you know they're still struggling with that. We can't really do the remote thing because our customer base demands that we're here. But I do think in ten years, twenty years, that looks different, right? Like yeah. as, as we get more millennials and the next generation, whatever they are, Z's or whatever. Um, I have one. So let's not talk about him today because that could be its own whole episode. He just turned yeah. 21. Fun fact. And no the wow. reality is, is that I think we're still struggling because I think and that, I think that's probably the interesting part about independent agents. I mean, we always say the best part about them is they're independent. The worst part is they're independent. Um, yep. You can feel pretty alone, but the, you really have to pay attention to the demands of your customers. Uh, and those customers' demands are going to change highly. So as agents paying attention, it's like for us, it's really important to me that we're part of the success of our young agents. Because if the, if we're part of their success, they will stay loyal, A, but they will engage. And if they engage, they will change the shape of the organization in the future so it's relevant for that generation. Otherwise, I'm yep. going to retire with this generation. I don't really want to do that. I want to make sure that we're constantly hearing what 
what people need and making sure that we're adjusting and we're, we have the courage to do it and we don't get stuck in that piece. And so there's always that jockeying for, you know, that balance between these generational needs, rural and urban and so forth. So to me, it's, it's really paying attention to, to being able to respond to that. And, but the, I think geography becomes very extremely irrelevant over time. No, I, I, I definitely agree with that analysis there. And there is this really interesting collision between the, the people that have been around long enough to remember a, a pre-internet world, the insured, the policyholder that has been buying insurance since you know the early 90s and prior those people have very different expectations for interaction generally speaking but even those folks like my office is suburban we're we're not rural but we're definitely suburban and we have a, a broad scope of a uh, spectrum of people for clients especially on the personal line side we have a lot of people in their 50s and 60s and 70s not nearly as much as the 30s and 40s thankfully cuz you know, 50s and 60s and 70s people generally uh, are not as welcoming to our way of doing business, very tech-centric, you know, app on your phone and, and whatnot. Uh, but we have had one in-person guest this year. One. And we're open. We're not telling people, don't come to our office. We just have had one in-person guest. And I know if we were located in Amarillo or Midland, or somewhere where Farmer John was going to bring his cash payment for his insurance policy this month. It's just a very different way of doing business. But uh, to your point, and, and some of my colleagues have said the exact same word, so I'm, I'm paraphrasing from them. What we have to do moving forward, all of us in the independent channel, is find the best way to optimize the intersection of human interaction and technology. What does it look like to optimize those human touch points by implementing really good technology into those interactions so the people that want a tech-forward interaction can have it, whether it's Glovebox, the app on your phone, or some other sort of you know, engagement via Podium from some text messaging or Facebook message platform, or the person who says, hey, you know what, I'd really love to come into your office. Uh, can we sit across the desk and shake hands and you know, have an old-fashioned interaction Okay, cool. Yeah, we're available yeah. for that. Yeah, that the people that are existing like at home or in an executive suite where they literally never get face to face with their client. I don't know about that. Yeah. For some, you know, for the 22 for your son, probably works just fine. You know, he'd like to receive his insurance from a TikTok message. Uh, but <laughs> a lot of folks don't operate like that yeah. and probably never will. Yeah, that that modern experience, I think, is really key. There's an organization out there called SALT that is, I don't know if you've heard of it, but yeah. you know, they're really trying to create that modern experience that people are looking for in the personal line space, right? I, I, will, I was laughing at when you were talking there for a minute because I have this... I wish I had a video of the interaction because it is such a great example. It's almost like looking back now, I'm like, that's exactly what's happened in our world. I When I first got here, I got our whole team together and I, I was putting them through a visioning exercise. Like if we're sitting here 10 years from today, 
what I did was worked on, you know, what's the archetype that we're going to be, right? If you're a rebel, what does that look like? If I'm a caregiver, what does that look like? And so we chose three different models and I had them actually write out, which could be fun for any agency to do. What would be the um, title of a newspaper if in 10 years from now, if that was the trajectory we went on, right? And what would you have done as an organization? What would they say about you at that point? And I had, I didn't mean to do it, but I ended up having two very veteran people in the team and two early 20 year olds on the team. And so we put them in subgroups and they're all working on it. And I was watching this one group and the older people were talking about how, you know what, this industry just hasn't really changed. It's not going to change that much in 10 years. And they, they're just kind of plotting through and, and I'm not trying to say they weren't aware, but the younger folks did, actually, what was interesting is they argued with them for about two minutes, and then they quit and did their own thing. And that's what I see happening with associations, with we have stopped trying to convince. And if it doesn't work, I'm not wasting my time. I'm going to build my own solution. And people yeah. do it with agencies, with your insurance. You know, if it becomes too complicated, ah, I'm just going to find something else or I'm going to find a new solution. It's why all these insure techs have blown up. It's why associations will or won't be relevant in the future is stop arguing, hear what's going on and fix that problem. Um, because otherwise they, people will go find their own answers. I think that's the 100%. thing we have to be aware of all the time with everything that we do. So as we get ready to land the plane, uh, anything else you want to bring up? Any other items of interest or you know threats that you want to shine a light on? No, I, th I think we've done a good job of, of looking at it across. I guess what I would say from a... Um, a selfish standpoint is if you are an agent out there that's not involved with an association, you know, pick up the phone and call and explain why you're not. Uh, because that is probably the best feedback an association can hear. And, yeah. you know, occasionally I'll get somebody will, you know, take a picture of some chatter that's going on on some Facebook page or whatever, and they're bashing us or whoever, which hurts my feelings, by the way. And, but either way, I would much prefer that people come and say, you're just not relevant. Let's fix that because otherwise we're all better than just quitting and not being part of it. Now, if you tried and you weren't heard, that's a different thing. Or there's new leadership, or there's a different voice to get to it. But I, I just what you're doing, James, by having programs like this, by, by shining the light on things that make us all better, we, the industry, independent agents, I think are critical to our communities and making sure that we've got the right products with, with climate change, with pandemics, insurance is changing in it, in that regard. And we've got to make sure that we're there together, working on it and serving the customer the best way we can. So we don't just become irrelevant. If, if all of us individually start to become irrelevant, it just, we don't exist anymore. So we've got yeah. to be better, better together, I guess. And, and maybe this doesn't win me any friends uh, when I, you know, walk around calling people parasites for enjoying the benefits of the association without doing anything to contribute to the association, either by dues or by volunteering or by in some way, you know, adding to the narrative. I've been guilty of not engaging uh, with IIAT. I, you know, recently uh, rejoined the association after a, an absence uh, but 
I haven't done anything to contribute time and talent. So uh, this is me here publicly saying I'm at your disposal uh, for whatever your purposes are. Uh, if it's a webinar, if it's serving on a committee, uh, if it's really whatever that I haven't even thought of that you're like, hey, great, we've got a, a, a loyal soldier here. Let's make sure we put this guy to work in some way. Um, I, I, I really love what I see from the big eye and I strongly disagree with anybody who says that the big eye and the PIA are not relevant. Uh, they have different strengths, different weaknesses. Uh, they, they are useful and, uh, and in some ways irrelevant in some parts of the country, uh, based on individual state associations and the people that are leading those subgroups. I mean, it is what it is, right? It, it's made up of a bunch of human beings that are fallible creatures that make mistakes from time to time and need to eat, need to sleep, have lives of their own. And, you know, most of the people that are involved have agencies of their own too. So if, if out there in listener land, if you're of the persuasion that the big I and other trade associations in our industry are irrelevant, well, what's the best way to make them better? Why don't you lean in and do something about it? You know, I, I was talking to somebody on Facebook just a week or two ago. It was like any coward can sit behind a keyboard and take shots. It takes courage to step up and do something about it. If you don't like it, instead of taking shots, how about you deploy your time and your talents and make it better? Any coward can sit behind a keyboard and take shots at the people that are engaged. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely. not okay with me. Yep. And I, I know I'm, maybe I'm rude for being so direct, <laughs> but anybody can take shots from a keyboard. It doesn't take anything to be that. I, I, I expect the people in this podcast and the people that I associate with, I know my friends and colleagues feel the same way. Don't talk about it. Be about it. That's the only way this thing gets better. That's right. I appreciate that. And, you know, I would say to anybody who's in Texas who needs support and help, we're here. Um, pick up the phone, call, email. We're, you know, and if you don't hear from us, then shame on us and, you know, come in here yelling and screaming and I'll, I'll we'll take it. <laughs> so we're around, but I, I very much appreciate you, you know, bringing me on um, for this. And maybe we'll put you on Mornings with Marit um, sometime this fall, since we're always looking for great um, content as well. And you can share sort of what you've learned along the way. Say the word. I would be happy to be a guest when you, you need someone to stir the pot and rile people up. I, I'm happy to be that guy. Uh, Marit Peters, Executive Director of the Big Eye of Texas, the IIAT. Thank you so much for being here uh, on the Agency Freedom Podcast. And uh, that's it for this episode, boys and girls. Make it a great day. We will talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom.
Until next time, let's go. 